Hello and welcome to another episode of the Breachside Broadcast, home of the finest voxcasting either side of the breach. On today's episode, we continue the story of Misaki Katanaka as she searches for the traitor within the Ten Thunders. In part one, she went to the Kiangong Tea House and got a tip from Yuko to visit Promise, home of the Ten Thunders Breach Facility. I hope you enjoy part two of Three Riddles and a Traitor, right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Breachside Broadcast is brought to you by the workers of the Foundry. We forge the steel and lay the track that connects Malifaux together. If you've ever used anything that's come off a freight train, you can thank the proud brothers and sisters of the Foundry, a division of the Miners and Steamfitters Union. Hundreds of miles away from Malifaux City and beyond the Guild's rule of law, the settlement of Promise stood as a lonely blot, besmirching the endless miles of cracked, broken earth known as the Badlands. While the town was a valuable trading port for Earthside contraband, especially goods from the Three Kingdoms, and the terminus of the Foundry's Great Railroad, its true purpose was to serve as a haven for Ten Thunders operatives. In recent months, however, Promise had grown increasingly isolated from the gang's headquarters in Malifaux City, like a colony separated from the metropole. It had been months since Mizaki had set foot there, occupied as she was by the power transition that she had so recklessly instigated. In the years following the Black Powder and Opium Wars, the town had emerged organically from the endless stream of refugees the thunders shepherded through the secret breach in the neighbouring mountains. These hopeless souls exchanged safe passage for unquestioning obedience, loyalty, and servitude. The hidden temple, built into the bedrock of the cliffs, so as to loom over the hamlet below, served as both training ground and incubator for the most dangerous of Mizaki's spies and assassins, as it had for those of her father. Frequent Nephilim attacks ensured that there was no shortage of opportunities for operatives to exercise their budding martial prowess. The tear between worlds was located in a crater, just a few kilometres to the temple's rear, accessible only through a narrow pass, chiselled into the rock. If the Nephilim hordes ever discovered the route to Earth, the consequences would surely be catastrophic. A dozen metal golems stood proudly in the heart of the crater, in front of an army of rail workers. The hulking machines were lit by Malifaux's twin moons. Delios, the trickster moon, shone in inauspicious rotting green. The constructs were arranged shoulder to shoulder, in two neat rows of six, basking in its ethereal glow. Mizaki, hidden behind a boulder, gaped in amazement, 
these sleek titans were different from their lumbering counterparts. Their iron bodies were oiled, immaculate and well-polished, utterly devoid of the usual rust, grime and dents. Each grasped a sword as thick as a girder, alongside a shimmering shield, embossed with the personal sigil of Jean Gu's Empress Dowager. A snarling teal dragon, enveloping a crimson sun. A lone woman walked among the golems, searching for imperfections as she inspected each of her precious creations from head to toe. Mei Feng. Mizaki would not have recognized her had it not been for the infamous tiger's claws covering her brawny, tattooed forearms. Instead of her usual slacks, tank top, and coal black ascot, the Union boss had dressed in a lithe, blood-red quipao, with golden threads. The detailing depicted the outline of a phoenix, its feathers spread, with flames erupting from their tips. Her waist-length braid was wrapped in an elaborate knotted bun shaped like a crown. Here and now, May was not just the worker's champion, the mistress of the foundry, the iron lady and the keeper of promise. She was the daughter of Jean Gyo herself. Accompanying Mei were several metal garmin. They scurried between the legs of their larger brethren, making last-minute adjustments to the armor plates. When Mei approached the end of the line, she cast a satisfied look back at her rail workers and snapped her fingers. In an instant, twelve sets of boilers ejected great clouds of steam and magical flames leapt inside twelve cavernous iron bellies. We have kept our secret long enough, comrades, May cried, addressing the crowd of foundry workers. Tonight, we march for Zhongguo. For your empress. The crowd cheered. And with an earth-shattering rumble, the constructs began to move in unison toward the glowing portal. Swords and shields locked. Stop! Mizaki darted from her hiding place and emerged face to face with May. A gasp went up from the crowd, and the metal golems faltered. In the same moment, behind the shimmering haze of smoke screens, stained a thousand colors by the flickering light of the breach, the Oyabun's choicest Tarakaji, archers, and monks materialized from the darkness. Immediately, the members of the foundry raised their mechanical limbs, shovels, and pickaxes. Brawny Kang, with his mighty hammer, stood at the front of the crowd and snarled a challenge. The tension in the air was so thick that Mazaki felt she could pierce it as she leveled her Vizento straight at her betrayer. Mazaki, May whispered, hiding her surprise. Her thin lips were pursed. Her eyes narrowed with the same look of steely determination she wore when working the forges. I should have known you would be here. She glanced upward at Delios and cursed. Dao Mei, who ratted me out? A little birdie from the southern kingdom, the Oyabun replied disdainfully. An, Wang Baden. Lin Noyet was wrong to trust him. Perhaps her hatred of the underworld is justified. Who? A contact from the other side, May said dismissively. It doesn't matter. What is this? Masaki kept her weapon leveled. You have exactly a minute to explain to your Oyabun what Baka lunacy is happening here before I take your head. If you wanted to kill me, already would have, May retorted with a cool shrug. 
but she raised her tiger's claws in anticipation of a surprise blow. I regret letting my curiosity get the better of me, Masaki answered testily. She looked at the constructs, now frozen. Those golems, they belong to the Thunders, May. Where were you sending them? She cast a nasty glance at the assembled rail workers, many of whom had rucksacks and sleeping mats slung over their shoulders. Her eyes widened in understanding. Did you really think you could get the entire foundry to desert us like a dog with its tail between its legs? There is a call to join the Three Kingdoms Coalition. We have answered. May's nostrils flared. Our Empress Dowager needs us. Earth has changed. Insect-like creatures rain down from the sky and rise from the depths, and there are stories about crazed men and women butchering their own families and worship of a spirit seared in the heavens. Have you become so engrossed fighting your petty little gang wars that you forgot? We're going home, Misaki. You are home, the Oyabun snapped impatiently. And don't talk to me about neglecting the suffering on Earth. When those guild redcoats murdered your parents in Zhangzi, father brought you and Lao Hu into his arms. How many years has it been since you and your brother first escaped through that gate? She gesticulated at the pulsating portal before them. Ten years? Fifteen? Don't you dare get sanctimonious on me, you ungrateful wretch. Bullshit, May roared. Lao Hu and I didn't need saving. Suddenly, scalding steam erupted around her cloaking the two women, rendering them invisible to the spectators. The crowds gasped. Do nothing, Mazaki commanded her forces. Her tone was strong and unwavering. This is between your Oyabun and Lady Feng. If anyone is to kill this traitorous bitch, it will be me. Who runs the foundry, May continued, ignoring the threat. Who built promise from the dust of the Badlands and the ashes of Zhongyu's hopeless opium war refugees? Who became the people's champion, daring enough to fight Kitchener at the height of his powers? May's rail workers let out a cheer. Comrade May struggles for victory. Masaki ignored them. Baojun gave you all those things, and when he passed, I didn't take them away. The Oyabun's voice hastened in fury. Why did you betray me? Since when is fighting for my country's survival a betrayal? May snapped. I came to Malifaux to build a better future for my people. Promise was our manifest destiny, an escape from a century of humiliation and foreign imperialists. Zhongo's legacy was to be born again in this new world. Her sadness transformed into ardent rage. But your father created a hell worse than the one we escaped from, where we were enslaved to him instead. A flicker of doubt flashed in Mizaki's eyes. What are you talking about? Oh, said May with a satisfied grimace. Daddy didn't tell you about what's really been happening here in Promise while you've been playing Shinobi in the streets of Malifaux City. About Dr. Huang Dawei and the truth behind the Boxer Rebellion. It was as if May had been waiting to speak for months. The words came gushing out like an unrelenting tide. 
Promises of a Temkin village designed to control, manipulate, terrorize, and milk every lost soul from my country for your gain. And your father ordered my brother to start the revolution that exiled them here. May cast a glance in the direction of her rail workers, as if she could see them clearly through the smoke. And they know it too. The workers chanted their support. You Nipponese have always abused us. It was Mazaki's turn to laugh now. Oh, so they trust you now, do they? If everything you say is true, then you were the one torturing them for protection money on father's orders. She addressed the rail workers directly, peering at the shapes in the steam. Are all people from Zhongo sheep? Maybe you all deserve to be subjugated. The crowd hissed. My workers follow me because I swore I would return them home or die trying, May replied coldly, eliciting another raucous cheer from the crowd. The Thunders are a criminal syndicate. Anyone who ever thought they were noble is indulging themselves in an Orientalist fantasy. May's eyes flashed dangerously. We don't want that life any more. Then you've made your choice, Mizaki said angrily. And without another word, she jabbed her bacento straight towards May's heart in a flash of swirling silver. May used her left tiger claw to deflect the blow and followed up with a flaming punch from her right. It came at lightning speed, and Mizaki felt the fabric of her dress burn as a scalding talon grazed her. She dove for the ground just in time, and swung her bacento wide, attempting to cut her adversary off at the heels, but May flipped backwards in a graceful arc and landed on one foot, her arms raised and pointed outwards in a mantis pose, fingers curled. Mizaki recognized the stance. Yamaziko had taught it to her alongside other foreign techniques long ago, but the tutor had dismissed it as primitive compared to its Nipponese counterpart. Now it would be put to the test. The Oyabung swung her bacento again, slicing at May's neck. It would have been a death blow had May not been ready to intercept it. She angled her arm so that Mizaki's blade collided with the iron crux of her crossed gauntlets. A shockwave radiated from the point of contact, and the air pulsed with magical energy, temporarily distorting the barrier of steam. Sparks flew as the steel shrieked in harsh rebuke, howling as if alive and burning. The opening in the steam disappeared as quickly as it arrived, leaving both combatants engulfed again. Those on the outside could see that the time for words had abated, but warriors on both sides were hesitant to join the swirling melee for fear of hitting their own champion. All remained obscured. Even Kang lowered his hammer, spellbound, as the shadowy outline of both women ducked, wove, and dodged one another inside the murky cloud of scalding vapour. May was strong, and Mizaki knew that continuing to lock weapons was not a viable strategy. She had reach, but May had force. Thinking quickly, Mizaki connected the metal tip of her sandal with her opponent's ribs, exposed beneath the cross formed by the sparring metal. May grunted in pain, but she flipped backwards, ever graceful, in another cloud of blazing steam before Mizaki's elegant follow-through could connect with her stomach. She had avoided disembowelment by mere millimetres. I won't stop, said May, between ragged breaths, clutching her side gingerly. You know I can't. Then you leave me no choice, said Mizaki bitterly. 
She arced her bezento and let out a flurry of quick jabs, which May managed to duck or block. The women collided again. Steel met steel, flame met flame, and flesh met flesh in a deadly dance so quick that, had it been visible to the spectators beyond the veil, would have seemed like a blur of raw chaos. In fact, each blow was as precise and disciplined as it was ferocious. After scanning for an opening, May launched a furious jackhammer kick, which threw Mazaki off balance in her effort to block it, but the Oyaban immediately recovered and followed up with yet another strike. May's counter connected too soon, and her tiger claw met the staff of Mazaki's Bicento instead of the blade. The lacquered wood exploded in a shower of splinters as May's blow tore through and reached Mazaki's chest, although not before the polearm's head cut deep into her own thigh. May winced in pain and collapsed on the ground. Mizaki was still standing, but only just. The steam evaporated, and the rail workers gasped upon seeing their foreman bleeding in the dust. Mizaki picked up the remains of her weapon from the gravel. The blade was still attached to about a foot of shaft. Exhausted and bruised, she strode purposefully towards her fallen enemy like an executioner walking towards the gallows. She hid her limp and twirled her makeshift sword with bravado, although she was bleeding profusely. Do it, May whispered, clutching in anguish at her wounded leg. Her breathing was tense and ragged. She knew that Mazaki's blade must have been coated in some kind of paralyzing venom. You betrayed your Oyaban, said Mazaki. You must pay the price. I'm not your Zhao Go, Mi shrieked, coughing up blood. I would suffer the same pain Bao Jun inflicted on my brother and all my men a thousand times over before I become a lapdog for you. Mizaki lifted her weapon. She thought of her father and all that he had done to forge her in his image. Gomanasai, I'm sorry for what you forced me to do. Then she thrust the blade downward towards May's beating heart. It never connected. I don't want to spare you, but I am not my father, Lady Feng, said Mizaki gingerly. Her blade hovered an inch above her opponent's chest for a long moment. Then it dropped to the dust by her side. The rail workers breathed an audible sigh of relief. Your betrayal. I see now that the fault lies with me. Had I known what Bao Jun was doing here, I would have stopped it, I swear to you. Mazaki's eyes were swimming with tears, but she would not let them fall. I have no issue with extortion, but the abuse of refugees who put their dream in a new world. Her voice died in her throat. May shot her a look she hadn't seen before. It was a mixture of disbelief, uncertainty and shock, but it also contained respect. Grudgingly, May accepted Mizaki's hand and picked herself up from the dust with her Oyaban's help. Mizaki addressed Kang and the rail workers. Men and women of the foundry, heed your Oyaban, lest you meet a fate less generous than your master's. She now turned and whispered to May, Your assignment remains the same. You will run our forges and continue insinuating yourself into the Union. You cannot leave Malifaux. 
but I will allow you to send limited numbers of foundrymen and assets earthside every few weeks to the Three Kingdoms Coalition, as I deem appropriate. Tell me, is that really worse than dying? Continuing to serve you? Yes, May sputtered again. You've humiliated me in front of my men, and I can never return home. Just kill me. This is worse than death. Good, said Masaki. That was the point. Her voice was steady, but now that she was speaking privately, it retained a sliver of warmth. And if you ever think of killing yourself in some kind of grand gesture, she added, not unkindly, remember that hundreds of men and women at the foundry are counting on you. And now, I suppose so is your country, your empress, and me. It doesn't matter where we're from, May, only where we're going. No one believes that more fervently than me. And I don't care what I was raised to think, or what others from Nippon say about Zhongyo. Yes, my Oyabun. The word lingered sweetly in Mizaki's ears. It was delivered without feeling, but Mizaki was sure that in time this too would change. She picked up her blade, rose, and turned to leave the city. You had it wrong, Lady Feng, the Oyabun said as she departed, motioning for her men to lower their weapons and join her. Coming to Malifaux was about rebirth. Only now I see it was not intended for your country, but for the Thunders. Unlike during Mizaki's previous visit, the Qiangong was so packed with drunken customers that she struggled to find Yuko. The geisha was passing around flasks of sake and baskets of warmed rice crackers like a common serving girl. She didn't wear her elaborate kimono today. True to form, she was almost indistinguishable from her entertainers, but for the parasol strapped to her back. Mizaki barely managed to catch her gaze. With a smile, Yuko gestured to a tiny room in the back, away from prying eyes. I see you've returned, she said, still smiling as she sat down opposite the Oyabun. Your trip to promise was eventful or so, I've heard. She exhibited none of the disdain or uncertainty of their last encounter. Mizaki knew better than to ask about Yuko's source. You seem happy to see me. I did what had to be done. I assume that's why you're not disappointed that I'm here this time. I didn't want to spare her, but I'm at peace with the decision. As you should be, Yuko said. A strong woman lives to inspire her people and fight for her homeland, even though she can never return. She dropped her usual dulcet tone, and Mizaki could tell that she was speaking frankly and openly. Or at least that was what the geisha wanted her to think. You know, I believe success is about suppressing our mind's basest instincts. I'm glad you were able to do that and spare Mei Feng's life. Things will be different from now on. My father, he's gone. I wanted to stay that way. As do I. He was a rat bastard, you know. Yuko smirked took a bite from one of her own rice crackers, and chewed it thoughtfully. Hmm. This needs more seaweed. 
She swallowed before continuing. Why do you think I ultimately decided to tell you about the foundry? Masaki's brow furrowed in curiosity. I came to ask the same thing, actually. You had nothing to gain either way. I can't figure it out. I feel like I'm playing one of your mind games, Yuko-san, she said. This is a riddle, isn't it? Perceptive. Yuko grinned again. You're becoming more astute. You've learned to check your presumptions at the door. Good. But once again, you're partly incorrect. It was a game. But this time I was the player, not you. Mizaki shot her a puzzled look before taking a swig of sake. It was the best she'd ever tasted, and she hurriedly took a few more sips. What do you mean? It's no different from the question about Ichiki, the farmer, the syllogism of the lotuses or the problem with the numbers, she answered. People are so determined to confirm what they know that they always believe the evidence and never try to disprove anything. They're naturally bad investigators, but not me. Yuko's eyes lit up. I told you about promise, not to see if you would kill your friend, but to test whether you wouldn't. You've risked an entire rebellion by taking a gamble on a woman you've never met, and whom you knew had a ruthless reputation for killing non-collaborators. Not exactly. Your trip in Nevan was a significant data point, but it wasn't determinative. As I already told you, heuristics are deceiving, and one family member doesn't reliably predict the behaviour of another. That's a false association, an erroneous attributional tendency that we should know better than to indulge. I was reasonably sure you would spare her, considering that you are not Baojun. Monaco Ray speaks highly of you, you know. Anyway, I owed her a favour, and I'm a woman of my word, no matter the cost. Are you satisfied, then? said Mizaki, somewhat sarcastically. She didn't like feeling used. Yuko took a swig of liquor. As I said, it would be expected, although illogical, to assume that you must be a thug because your father was. She wrapped the table impatiently with her knuckles. Just because a cheeky is meek doesn't mean he's an accountant instead of a farmer. The fact that some flowers wilt doesn't mean that all lotuses do. And it is not always true that a complex relationship between a string of numbers is the rule that governs their pattern. Mizaki nodded in understanding. But why were you even testing me in the first place? I think you already know, answered Yuko. I suspected that, with Baojun gone, it was time to come out of the shadows. Then you already predicted the other reason I came to you today, Mizaki concluded. Yuko's face fell. She knew what question was coming. I can't, Mizaki. You haven't even... Yuko held up a hand. Mizaki balked. Never before had someone dared to silence her. I survived specifically because I owe my allegiance to no one. This was a fun little experiment with promising results. But I will not join your thunders. You just said that you were testing me for that purpose, the Oyabun responded, exasperatedly. But she collected herself. Still, I thought you might say that. But how could I not ask after what you've done for me, 
and after I've experienced your skills firsthand. I still remember what happened when you asked Arn for a partnership and he refused, Yuko concluded sourly. It's different. You know, I've learned since then, Mizaki chuckled. Then was only a few days ago. Yuko raised her thin, penciled eyebrows skeptically. How about a riddle to prove it, then? Mizaki suggested. A talented, beautiful woman hides in the shadows and owes her allegiance to no one. What's the probability that you will eventually have an affiliation with some group or another in Malifaux? The geisha rolled her eyes. Mizaki answered her own question. I would say pretty high, considering that everyone is connected by fate in this place. Yuko flashed the Oyaba in a genuine smile. You're not your father, that's for certain. You're a much quicker study than he is. But that doesn't change the fact that you and your people have done terrible things. You must realize this. The grin ran away from her face again. And who's to say I won't in the future, said Mizaki. But I'm no more a butcher for carrying my basento than you are for carrying that katana inside your parasol. And you know that I will compensate you well. For what? Yuko was apparently nonplussed for the first time since they'd met. What would you have me do if I were to work for you? Teach me. Yuko nodded. All right, then, she agreed, still somewhat uneasy. But you need to give me time to make peace with my decision. Anyway, you still have so much to learn. Not only about yourself, but also about those you lead. Mizaki held her tongue and simply smiled over her cup of sake, reaching for a rice cracker instead of her basento. Oh, she asked imploringly after taking a bite and feeling the satisfying crunch between her teeth. Your first lesson. You are more than just the Oyabun, Yoko mused. Your men, either because they respect you, fear you, or both, count on you, since they have nowhere left to turn, or more like nowhere left to run. Perhaps it is time you got to better know your own household, rather than wasting time trying to demolish others. May I be blunt? Mizaki paused. Courtesy didn't matter the first time we met, Yuko. The geisha chuckled. Feng might never have betrayed you if you had spent more time in promise at the foundry and been a little more vigilant about your father's worst excesses. Cut to the chase, Yuko. What aren't you telling me? When was the last time you went to the honeypot? She asked cryptically. I think your gambler has no more cards up his sleeves. Before Mizaki could answer, Yuko snatched the basket of rice crackers as she stood up to depart, the ghost of a smile on her lips. There'll be more waiting for you when you get back. Your true family needs you now. True family. It was the one thing father never had. Although abashed, Mizaki smirked and rose to leave. She would visit Lynch. But first, she had a purple kimono for Shang to burn.
That's it for another episode of the Breachside Broadcast. Join us next time for more Tales of Malifaux.